When I started this podcast, I had some clear goals in mind. First and foremost, I wanted Megan to be able to tell her story in her own words with minimal input from me. Her voice deserves to be heard loud and clear. Second, I wanted the deputies to be able to talk about how this whole experience has affected them. It's not just about one person's story. It's about the ripple effect on the lives of all of those who were part of it. The third goal I was absolutely certain of from the beginning. I didn't want anyone to regret sharing their story with me and with you. I wanted everyone involved to feel safe and comfortable knowing that their words would be treated with respect. Now, my fourth goal for this podcast is a little tricky to talk about because it changed not long after I got started. Originally, I wanted to keep Keith Hescock nameless and insignificant, like the coward he was. He doesn't deserve any notoriety or any airtime after what he did. This man was beyond cruel. He caused harm to innocent children. He murdered a canine deputy, wounded a deputy, and is suspected in the disappearance of multiple girls in Idaho. He is not the kind of person that I wanted to put any energy into or spend hours talking about. However, as I delved deeper into the interviews with Megan, Phaedra, and the deputies who investigated the disappearance of Amber Hoops, something shifted in me. Hescock took his own life thinking he could escape the consequences of his actions and hide his dark secrets. I don't believe he should be granted that privilege. The truth needs to be known. There might be people out there far from Idaho who have no idea what kind of monster he was. There could be other victims of his still too scared to come forward because they are unaware of the events of June 5th. It is very possible there are other crimes that have yet to be connected to him. So I've decided to use this podcast to shed light on the truth, to tell everyone about the real Keith Hescock. Let's make sure his sins are not hidden and that his victims are acknowledged and remembered. It won't be easy, but I'm going to do my best to tell everyone I can. This is She's Missing. This podcast discusses criminal behavior, kidnapping, suicide, and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. We ask that if you know Megan or her family, that you continue to help protect her identity. Keith Hescock Jr. was born in 1960 in Enterprise, Oregon. He graduated from Elgin High School in 1978. Not long after, he was sent to prison in Salem, Oregon for two to three years around 1981. He wasn't out of prison long before he was caught stealing cattle. Before he was arrested, he stole a truck and drove to Florida, running from his consequences. He was caught and spent time in prison in Tallahassee, Florida from around 1985 to 1989. Not long after he was released from prison, Phaedra, Phaedra's brother, and Phaedra's mom moved in with him in Florida. They lived in the Sarasota area. It wasn't until the summer of 1992 that they moved to Idaho. If you know anyone who lives in any of these areas, please share this podcast with them. 
someone in one of these cities may know something that might help. Here is Hescock's niece, Phaedra, sharing some more valuable details. When we lived in Florida, he went by Mark. Everyone over there knew him by Mark. And when we moved up from Florida, there was another family that moved with us. And they had kept calling him Mark. So he kind of brought both names with him to Idaho. And so people would call him by both. But his actual name is Keith. So Keith Glenn Hescock Jr. was his given name. Do you have any idea why he started to go by Mark? No, I asked my mom and she said that was the name he was using down in Florida. Yeah, because no one in our house, like our family, is called Mark either. So I'm not really sure why he started using that name. I was a little over a year old when my mom moved us down to Florida, me and my brother, and he was already living there. And then our grandma came and joined us down in Florida. And then he decided that we needed to move. And I guess um, me and my mom talked about it. She said it was just out of nowhere. He was like, we're moving to Idaho. And so we packed up everything and drove from Florida to Idaho. And so then I, we lived with him in Idaho until he was, uh, until he died. Do you remember when you moved from Florida? I just remember it was in the summertime. I can't remember if I was four or five, but I do know that it was before Stephanie Crane disappeared. Stephanie Crane disappeared on October 11th, 1993, while walking home along Highway 93. Hescock is considered a suspect in her disappearance. As we get more into the cases that Hescock is suspected of, it is easy to see why it was so important to start with Megan's story. It also highlights why Megan truly deserved the Medal of Heroism. Heaven only knows what this man did and what he would have continued to do if Megan had not escaped. Before we proceed, I wanna take the opportunity to thank Megan for trusting me to share her story. Her bravery has had a profound impact on my life and I believe her story has the power to inspire and help countless others. I also wanna extend my thanks to Megan's family friends, and the deputies who displayed incredible vulnerability and openness throughout the interviews. I know that this has not been easy for all of them, and I really appreciate them taking the time to speak with me. When talking to each of them, I posed three similar questions to each. Having dealt so closely with Megan's kidnapping, mm -hmm. and you had young kids, how do you feel like that affected you personally as a father? Well, that's a deep one. I don't know if it's, if it would be just the kidnapping or just seeing all the negativity in life. Um, I've, I've, I have two kids. I have a, a, 
a daughter is married and has a couple kids and a son who's a Marine. And in the course of raising them, I didn't sugarcoat anything. I didn't tell them the gory details of a lot of things, but I told them specifically, if you do this, then this can or will happen. And it was very, very specific. And I didn't do it to scare them. I did it out of, out of love and, and for there to not be any surprises. So they both knew as they grew up, they, they both knew that I had dealt with a lot of bad things. And I think they, they knew I wasn't making anything up. Like if, if, if you're out past midnight, something bad is more likely to happen than if you come home before midnight. Some simple things like that, that probably every parent would tell their kids. The only difference is I was out in the middle of waiting in the garbage <laughs> after midnight, so I could tell them firsthand. I don't know that that specific event changed how I looked at being a father. I, I, could, I could tell you after facing the Grim Reaper a few times throughout my life, I've, I appreciate life, I love life. I appreciate every sunset, every sunrise. I think life itself took on a new meaning after not just the shooting, but after, after dealing with a lot of, of uh, negative things with the job. How do you feel that experience affects your decisions as a mom? I definitely am a lot more paranoid than a lot of other people. I am constantly thinking about it, and there's crazy stories everywhere on the news, you know. I try to be extremely conscious of where my kids are, and I try to make sure that they walk into the school and I see them walk in, and it does probably consume me a little bit more than others. The risk is not worth it. I don't want to do anything that would even remotely put me in that because I would never forgive myself. And I know that the chance of them returning home after they're kidnapped is so small that it's just like, you know, there's all of these like little missing kids and then they never come home. Even if you do everything right, you know, one little thing like that that's not your fault could happen. And so I definitely am very, I would say, I, you know, I'm a lot more paranoid than a lot of other people. Do you think it has affected you as a parent? I think so. I mean, it was definitely one of my first experiences kind of realizing um, how fast things can change or how fast someone can be taken away from you or, you know, like how your your loved ones can be there and then not. Uh, so it's definitely, definitely one of those that kind of opens your eyes in that regard uh, to kind of try as much as you can to to not take things for granted and to kind of be more present. As far as maybe not letting them do certain things, I don't know that it's a conscious change or a conscious difference in what I would or wouldn't have done as a parent anyway. Um, that's hard to say for sure. It, I'm sure it's affected me probably more than I realize. You see these things happen, and then as much as you try not to bring it home, but still, when it happens to kids that are the age of your own children, you can't help but think about that. And so it changes the way you do things. You know, poor Melissa, and I'm sure every cop's wife is the same way. 
sometimes she, she would just i think be kind of where's this coming from but it's it's just part of the deal how do you feel like this experience affected you moving forward i remember just the mindset of where i was at the time how scary life is but you can't be fearful of life the second question I wanted to know the answer to was their stance on sleeping on the trampoline. Did you ever sleep out on the trampoline? I did. Um, I definitely did before that. <laughs> um, I know that directly after it was, I mean, it was something that everybody did before, but in our community after it was pretty much like a unheard of thing. Did you guys have a trampoline? No, we didn't. <laughs> I was going to say, did you ever let your kids sleep out in the backyard or out on the trampoline? You know, their mom was very, very overprotective in a good way. And I was, for the things I saw, the things I dealt with, I was, you would think I'd be like a mother hen just keeping my kids protected and safe and, 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 and uh, cushions all around them so they didn't get bumped with life. I was just the opposite. It was like, that's going to hurt. I didn't really shelter them from it. I protected them from it, but I didn't, uh, I really didn't shelter them from it. I prepared them for whatever, whatever they might see or come in, in contact with throughout life. So rather than, rather than shelter them from it, I taught them how to deal with it. So if it, if, if they had to deal with those things head on in life, that they'd be prepared for it. You had asked me, you know, do, do you still let your kids sleep out on the trampoline after this? And it's like, yeah, you know, oh, every time I think, oh, do I really want to do that? Kind of like rushing roulette, you know, with your kids. But it's like, there's rules. No one leaves the trampoline. Like, you don't just go off or like the mom or dad are sleeping with you and you tend to sleep lighter. So I've just, I've had to kind of tell myself over the years, you can't be fearful of life. Would you let your kids sleep on the trampoline? Never. No. <laughs> like, my husband's like, what if I sleep on the trampoline with them? You know, I don't even like the idea of that. I just don't think I could do it. It really, really makes me get a little nervous. So did you guys have a trampoline? We did. Did you let your kids sleep on it? Not unless one of us was with them. And because of this very thing. And, you know, when I was a kid, and, and I only live a mile from where I grew up, and uh, we slept out all the time. I mean, I slept out by myself. Most of the summer, I slept outside. We never, ever gave it a thought. Do you feel like it changed your parents' parenting style? Of course they didn't want us to sleep out on the trampoline Obviously. again. Obviously. <laughs> like that went out the window. But I did. I did do it. And I did it at a friend's house, though. So they didn't know about it. And they weren't happy that I did it. But, like, I really wanted to because mm -hmm. I just wanted to show that I wasn't going to let that ruin my life. Like, I wasn't going to be scared of that forever. I don't really like sleeping outside, I'll be honest. It's not my favorite thing it's not it doesn't have anything to do with that it's just it's uncomfortable yeah like, I never <laughs> sleep good I'm always there's a bump or something in my back nothing beats your own bed no like <laughs> I'm such a princess when it comes to that but I definitely wanted to do it again just to be like no I'm doing this 
you're not going to ruin that part of my life. The third and final question that I posed to almost every person that I interviewed was, what would you want to say to Megan today? Megan, you're uh, the strongest woman that I know to to do what you're doing and to, uh, to have the fortitude to press on and be successful after the negativity that you've experienced and, and grown through and put behind you and, and, uh, definitely it was my honor to be a part of your story. Just a reminder how, how brave and how strong she is. I, I'm sure she will hear that plenty through this, but, uh, and she's humble enough to kind of brush it off and say, you know, this is just something that happened to me and, and it is what it is, but I, I don't think that many people would have been able to do what she did. And I think it's easy in this day and age where, you know, we hear stories like this or we hear situations and it's easy when you're not in it to be like, oh, I would have done this or I would have done that. Why didn't she just do this? Uh, But kind of right in the heat of the moment with, you know, the fear and the panic and the anxiety. I mean, it's, it's a different beast and it's hard to say for sure what you would or wouldn't do and and yeah I I still look up to her and I still think she's amazing and so I I just hope she knows that I'm sorry it happened I wish there's something that we could have done to prevent it I'm so grateful that uh, that she got away and uh, I hope in some small way there's there's justice in this deal, you know, one way or the other. Think about it often. She's just grown up to be such an amazing woman. And I just think the world of her, so. Just that I've always admired her. She's so resilient. She's a, a beautiful woman and um, I'm glad she hasn't allowed this to be a defining factor in her life that she can, that she's strong and um, she wasn't going to let him win. Anything that you would want Megan to know? I'm going to cry. Um, just that we love Megan so much and that she is honestly like the glue that holds our family together and you know, she is a light to everyone and she's an example to everyone, whether she knows it or not. And I think she just needs to know how much we love her no matter what. Thank you for joining me through each episode of She's Missing. Don't forget to come back next week for the final episode of Megan's Story. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. While the timeline may not be exact, the facts of this case are laid out as close as the memories of those involved allowed. You can find additional information on our website, sheismissingpodcast.com. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. You know, if if God got me through that, then the rest of this 
he'll bring me through too. Because nothing as bad as what that was in that moment. So, I do. I feel like I'm doing really well. 